This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program. We're planning to take a look back at 2007 on today's show. So we're gonna, we've got a lot of catching up to do. So I think the way I'm going to do this is go, uh, go hellbent for leather for segments A and B, then take a bit of a relaxer in our third and final segment with our old pal Sean Minton and talk a little bit about uh, the sports year. But let us commence this show, as we always like to do, with On This Date in History, which in today's case is January 3rd. January 3rd in 1521, Pope Leo X issues a papal bull which excommunicates Martin Luther from the Catholic Church. After which Luther said fine and founded the Lutheran Church. On this date in 1841, American writer Herman Melville sails for the South Seas on the whaler Auschnet. In, in, in 1851, Harper and Brothers published his novel, Moby Dick. It was a flop. It took many years for it to be recognized as a classic. And finally, on January 3rd, 1924, British archaeologist Howard Carter, after two years of excavation at the tomb of the pharaoh Tutankhamun near Luxor, Egypt, found his way inside and located its greatest treasure, a stone sarcophagus containing a solid gold coffin holding the mummy of King Tut. Our quote of the day comes from the great American writer and scientist Isaac Asimov, who once said, Never let your sense of morals get in the way of doing what's right. Our quip of the day comes from the late Jimi Hendrix, who once said, It's funny the way most people love the dead. Once you're dead, you're made for life. And I must say, it was weird over Christmas going into San Francisco and going to the old Haight-Ashbury and seeing that a lot of these old head shop type stores with, you know, various tie-dye and t-shirts were selling an awful lot of postcards which featured Jimi Hendrix, Janis Joplin, and Jim Morrison. Obviously, Jimi Hendrix was right. Once you're dead, you're made for life. Our statistic of the day comes from the Associated Press, which noted that including 2007, seven of the eight warmest years on record worldwide have occurred since 2001. This is according to the National Climate Center, which noted that the 10 warmest years have all occurred since 1997, which at this point is starting to make global warming deniers look a little bit like Holocaust deniers. And you know, since we're looking back at 2007, uh, let's see if we can do uh, quotes from every month, at least one or two. And for this, we're indebted to the good people at the Sacramento Bee. In January of last year, televangelist Pat Robertson said, I'm not necessarily saying it's going to be nuclear. The Lord didn't say nuclear, but I do believe it will be something like that. Robertson was predicting a terrorist attack on the U.S. in late 2007. It's possible when Robertson was talking to the Lord and the Lord didn't say nuclear that perhaps Robertson misunderstood, or perhaps the Lord isn't really talking to Pat Robertson. In February of last year, film director Martin Scorsese, who'd been passed over five times for the Oscar, asked upon finally getting one, could you double-check the envelope? In, in the wake of the I, Scooter, Libby verdict in March, comedian Bill Maher said, Scooter Libby was found guilty of perjury, obstruction, and making false statements. 
or as the White House calls it, a press conference. During April, Senator John McCain, uh, while campaigning for president, decided the, to alter the lyrics of the Beach Boys hit Barbara Ann to Bomb, 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 Iran. Which we're not sure was a good, you know, move politically. And speaking of uh, bad moves politically, in May of last year, George W. Bush said, The question is, how to make that decision? The Congress or the commanders? As you know, my position is clear. I'm the commander guy. Then, of course, we have Senator Larry Craig's explanation of why he was busted in a gay public sex police sting. Commented that the reason he stuck his foot underneath the stall adjacent to his was, I have a wide stance when going to the bathroom. All right, we like the quote in July of last year from a, a former NASA rocket scientist, James Oberg, who was reacting to reports of the astronauts going into space drunk. Said Oberg, you can't have three flyers and four comatose people up there along for the ride. And in August, in the wake of uh, Barry Bonds breaking the record, Conan O'Brien weighed in with, Last night, President Bush did not call Barry Bonds after he broke Hank Aaron's home run record. But today, Bush decided to make the call. Bush said, I realized I had a rare opportunity to talk to the only guy in the country who's less popular than I am. And in September, in a rare bit of honesty, apparently Republican Party strategist Scott Reed said, The real question for Republicans in Washington is how low can you go? Because we are approaching a level of ridiculousness. And in October, in the wake of the Iraqi government ordering $100 million worth of weapons, comedian Conan O'Brien weighed in with, An Iraqi official said, We're hoping China makes weapons that are half as deadly as their toys. And in November, what many consider to be perhaps the quote of the year, Senator Joe Biden, during the Democratic uh, debate, referred to Republican presidential candidate Rudy Giuliani by saying, there's only three things he says in a sentence, a noun, a verb, and 9-11. And finally in December, in case you had any doubt about the genius of the people that run the motion picture industry, a Paramount Pictures executive commented on the upcoming film Jackass 2.5 by saying, there's more vomiting, nudity, and defecation, the stuff consumers really want. And of course, we're awaiting the Esquire magazine annual Dubious Achievements of the Year Award, which is now coming out in their February issue, so we'll just have to stay tuned for that. But uh, in the meantime, I did note that uh, the Sacramento News and Review had an article on the most annoying things of 2007. Article by Robert A. Barry. I liked a couple of these. Uh, Number nine, Al Sharpton and Don Imus asked Barry, how far has the civil rights movement fallen when these two have become the respective spokespersons for black and white America? And I like number 30. In 2004, Don Henley complained about big chains squeezing out small record stores. Then, to help, He made the New Eagles CD a Walmart exclusive. Look for Henley to help end racism next year with a KKK-sponsored concert tour. Barry also sounded off on Sacramento's annoying things, noted at one point uh, the California State Fair was pretty annoying. He noted there was no freak shows or gypsies to speak of, and the carnies actually have teeth. 
No wonder people still think of Sacramento as a cut-rate town. It'd sure be nice if they moved it to a month when you didn't have to walk around on a 150-degree blacktop. Personally, uh, our vote for the most annoying things in Sacramento last year was this new ordinance where you have to check before you burn something in your fireplace. Knuckleheaded article in the B points out that first-time violators will be fined $50 with higher fines for repeat offenders. People can pay the fine or opt to go to smoke school. The Air Quality District is waiving fines for the first year and sending out warning letters to educate residences about the change instead. I just love this. If you're Angelo Sakopoulos, you can build 1,500 units out on some piece of farmland, all with chimneys, and nobody says a word. But if you already own a house that has a chimney, well, boy, you might get ratted out by your neighbors. And uh, part two of, of the most annoying things we think in Sacramento are these new idiot parking devices the city council and his wisdom have decided to install where you have to walk over, put money into a machine, get a sticker, and walk back to your car without any instructions as to how to stick it onto your car. Ginger Rutland had a few uh, choice words to say about that in the B, and we're going to see if we can get Ginger on this program to talk about that. All right, looking back at 2007, there's, uh, there's so many things we could talk about. Uh, the fact that Democrats that were elected to come in and change things and decided, oh, well, I guess, uh, I guess we're just going to give Bush everything he wants on, on Iraq, but, you know, we'll be surly to him. The Bush administration decided they were going to send a surge of troops over to Iraq, and if all went well after that, they would be able to pacify things well enough to then remove the troops that they sent over in the first place, which is kind of about where we are. Benazir Bhutto's assassination last week is still reverberating around uh, the world. Uh, the question there, and that the question in that case is, what did Pervez Musharraf have to do with her murder? We suspect he had a hand in it, but uh, we're just going to have to refrain from further discussion till till we've had a chance to really take a good look at it. Uh, I did note while walking around San Francisco, the, at the same time I was visiting the Haight Ashbury that uh, all the papers were giving even more play to the tiger attack. We'll, we'll return to that topic as well, but, you know, it, it's pretty clear that all these articles about how well the enclosure perhaps wasn't as high as it should have been, you know, is leaving out the key elements of what transpired. And I tried to look it up on the Internet and found you have to go, as, as sadly is often the case, you have to go to, like, British publications to find some quality reporting. The Guardian was simply noting that, well, the San Francisco police did say that they found blood and a shoe inside the enclosure, along with a shoe print on top of the fence around the tiger enclosure. Most of the American reporting seemed to focus on teens deny they were taunting tiger. And we've heard rumors of like a vodka bottle being found, you know, uh, implements of, uh, for, of like a slingshot in the area. I don't know if these are true, but it's like... Clearly, these jackasses were taunting the animal, and as a result, the animal went out of its cage to get them. Of course, the, the survivors of this attack are now just sort of not saying anything, disappearing for a couple days, hiring Mark Jeragos, who comes forward and says, these boys went down to the zoo to hang out. Uh, anyway, we'll, we'll have more to say about that, that story in the future, but, you know, this just does not pass the smell test. For my money, one of the most amazing stories of 2007 came out on the very last day of the year, December 31st. In late December, scientists from, that were tracking near-Earth objects, which are these asteroids that come within the orbit of the Earth, found one that had just passed our planet with no danger of hitting it, 
but was rocketing out in the direction of Mars, and the calculations showed there was a chance that it might strike Mars. Normally the odds of such collisions are like million to one events, but the first statistics came back showing it was a 300 to one shot for Mars, which got everybody's attention. This was later increased to 75 to one, and on, uh, on the last day of the year, the best data was reevaluated, and the odds were increased to one in 25, meaning there's a 4% chance on January 30th that Mars will experience an impact equivalent to what struck in Siberia here on Earth in 1908. And at this point, everybody is rooting for asteroid 2007 WD5 to hit Mars because the science payoff will be tremendous. We've got several orbiters around the planet that can show what happens if it does hit, and we've got two robots still functioning on the surface that may be able to add their two cents as well. Exciting stuff. We'll keep watching. Well, let's kind of meander through some of the stories that we covered this year. Uh, the governor and a blue ribbon panel is trying to put together a new way to steal Northern California's water and send it down for the benefit of the water interests uh, in, our, in the Southland. We talked about this with our good pal Bruce Bronstein a couple weeks back, but, uh, you know, th this, we have to watch these people like a hawk. I think it is quite fair to say they do not have the interests of the Delta at heart. Noted the Sacramento Bee, to date, Governor Schwarzenegger has been far too aligned with the water siphoners of the Delta to forge broad consensus. Huge story also uh, last month kind of got under the radar uh, that uh, the FCC has decided to allow more media consolidation. I hope you caught uh, the interview with Sam McManus on uh, Insight uh, yesterday on KXJZ. This is one of our, uh, our favorite topics, and we hope that perhaps Sam McManus will come talk to us as well on this show. And I should also note in, in, the, in the weeks to come, we're going to be speaking with some activists that are... Uh, are monitoring local TV to try and make sure stations are on the job when it comes to major political stories. We talked about that a few weeks ago, and uh, some of the good people uh, that, that are doing that watchdog function uh, will hopefully come speak with us as well. All right, another matter that, uh, that came up in, in uh, 2007 we're going to be talking about in the year to come is uh, some really scary stuff when it comes to privacy or lack of. The fact that all of us can be monitored through our cell phones as to our, our exact location on the face of the earth through GPS is a little bit scary if you think about it. And, and so is the power of the internet. You know this story about the, the missing canoeist over in Great Britain? Apparently this guy, uh, this guy John Darwin uh, faked a, a canoeing accident and disappeared. His wife collected the insurance money. Well, uh, the London Sunday Mirror noted that with all of Britain mesmerized by this tale when he first resurfaced, uh, everyone became a, uh, an armchair detective. On a whim, one reader of the Daily Mirror Googled the Darwin's name, and within seconds, she'd found a photo of the couple on a Panamanian real estate website dated June 2006. She then called up the authorities, and police then arrested Anne Darwin in Panama, where she confessed to abetting her husband's fraud. And how about this item? In, in 2007, uh, some clever miniature engineers, or engineers of miniature things, have finally figured out how to make little robots that imitate uh, insects. They're able to generate lift, as do insect wings. And of course, this has allowed for the creation of miniature spy devices. 
to quote from an article from The Economist. Just below a half-open garage door, a tiny device can be seen at the feet of someone lurking in the shadows. It looks like a blue dragonfly. Then its miniature wings begin to flap as it slides under the door and darts along the street. After rising through the air, it stops to hover outside the window of a building several stories high. There's an opening on the roof, and it slips inside. As it flits from room to room, its video camera eye transmits pictures to a screen on a remote control unit strapped to the wrist of its clandestine operator. No, this is not a scene from a James Bond film, but an animated video produced by Onera, France's National Aerospace Center, to explain Romanta, a project to develop the technologies needed for miniature robotic aircraft. That's one we need to keep an eye on. And I, I got a kick out of uh, <laughs> this uh, article from the Sacramento Bee. Actually, it was a reprint from an article from the New York Times by Matt Richel, which I'm just going to quote from. One afternoon in early September, an architect boarded his commuter train and became a cell phone vigilante. He sat down next to a 20-something woman who, who he said was babbling away into her phone. The architect, Andrew, who declined to give his last name because what he did next was illegal, reached into his shirt pocket and pushed a button on a black device the size of a cigarette pack. It sent out a powerful radio signal that cut off the chatterer's cell phone transmission and any others in a 30-foot radius. She kept talking into her cell phone for about 30 seconds before she realized there was no one listening on the other end, he said. Now, it should be noted that these jammers are quite illegal in the United States. The radio frequencies used by cell phone carriers are protected, just like those used by television and radio broadcasters. The FCC has said if you use a cell phone jammer, you could be fined up to $11,000 for a first offense. Of course, the article went on to note, a restaurant in Maryland where the owner got tired of his employees chatting on the phone instead of paying attention to customers, so he, he bought himself a $1,000 jammer. Apparently, Verizon Wireless and the FCC both tried to bust him, but they went into the uh, restaurant and he turned it off. But uh, this technological war is going, going back and forth. Uh, how about this story from late July? Thelma Arnold apparently was doing some research uh, to deal with her incontinent dog on the web, and when AOL in, in late July released details of 20 million web searches by Arnold and... 657,000 other users. Uh, investigators found it was very easy to track down uh, Ms. Arnold because of her searches on the Arnold family tree and local real estate listings. So I guess we have to keep in mind perhaps what we search for on the web. Um, all right, let's do the good, the bad, and the ugly. All right, last week, during Christmas week, it was a good week for Santa Claus. After the jolly old elf working a mall in Danbury, Connecticut, told police that a grown woman had climbed onto his lap and groped him. And it was also a bad week, last week, for Santa Claus. After the Canadian Post Office revealed that one of the 11,000 volunteers who responded to letters addressed to Santa Claus of the North Pole had written obscene replies to at least 10 children. 
We firmly believe there is just one rogue elf out there, said a spokesman. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Santa Claus, when it was announced by the U.S. Postal Service that for the first time in its history, the USPS was requiring volunteers who answer children's letters to Santa Claus to sign a waiver releasing the agency from all liability for lawsuits or other legal claims. A Postal Service spokeswoman said the waiver was necessary because the faux Santas are given the kids' home addresses. Let's take a short break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax.